Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Steve Penny, um, who's a full-time trader specializing in silver, gold and uranium stops, uh, stocks, who I've actually personally been following for the last six months or so. Um, originally, Steve is an Air Force pilot with 15 years experience before seeking a career as a full-time investor and newsletter writer. Um, and is known in the circles as the silver chart list. Um, where he shares, uh, shares useful tips on investing uh, on, and current market trends across a handful of commodities. Um, I want to get Steve on the show because, as you know, I'm in mining recruitment and often speak to my clients and candidates about investing. Um, and what I was surprised to find out that not many people um, were in actually investing in their own industry. Um, so I thought I'd get Steve on. Um, every few months to give us an update on the market and more importantly educate us on some of the things that we should be looking in terms of investing in mining stocks so i want to welcome um, steve to the podcast how are you doing steve good rob thank you thank you so much for inviting me on uh, first time guest but i've been listening to you for a little bit now and it's excited to speak with you and connect with your audience so thank you yeah no i appreciate your time as well because i know you're a busy uh, a busy man um so i just wondered if you can give our audience um a background about yourself um, so they get so obviously they know what what you've been doing in the past, and then how you've actually got into a into a full time investing in mining stocks. Sure, yeah, I've been an active duty Air Force pilot since two thousand three. Uh, just re- recently came off of active duty and um, been in the as a part timer reservist in the guard. Um, also an airline pilot. I do that. Uh, as little as possible. You can almost go part-time in the airlines, especially with COVID these days. So uh, really just been full-time investing. And then uh, about six or seven months ago, we started a newsletter. Uh, this is something I'm just passionate about. I'm always uh, you know, just anxious to share this information with people. And I figured, you know, why not create a newsletter and share it with people? So we put out a free weekly letter every Sunday, and uh, we tried to provide more value for free than other newsletters charge for. And uh, we do have a low-ticket premium service also that's really growing. So I just couldn't be more grateful to be able to have this opportunity to share what I'm passionate about with as many people as possible. Yeah. And how did you get into, into mining stocks? I mean, what, what made you focus on, on mining? Well, uh, the, the short answer is I see it as a, the most asymmetric risk reward setup uh, in any market right now. But going back, oh, I think 2008 was a big wake-up call for me. Uh, I started getting into really Austrian economics and how the global monetary system works and how these central banks work. And once you start to look into that, that kind of leads you down the path of gold and silver and honest money. And uh, which again, leads you to believe just what an undervalued sector this is uh, right now. Yes, certainly. Um, And obviously Steve mentioned about a free um, and paid newsletter, um, which is really awesome. I subscribe to it. um, And it's, it's, gives so much value. So I'm sure Steve will explain a little bit about that um, later on in the podcast. Um, But starting off, um, and in your opinion, why should people, and obviously the audience uh, for this podcast is mainly people in the mining industry, actually Mm -hmm. working physically in the mining industry. Why should they look at investing in mining stocks now 
than ever, ever before. Sure. Um, so I like to start with a super big picture perspective. And I'll, I'll use the United States as an example, but other Western nations and developed nations are really all on the same path. But we are coming to a point where this debt and the deficit is growing at such a rapid pace in the currency creation that we're coming to a point where 100% of tax receipts are going to just go towards interest on the debt. That point is coming. And of course, the big variable in that equation is what are the interest rates? You know, The higher rates go, the sooner we get to that point. But regardless, that's a point we're headed to. And central uh, planners, politicians have two choices. They can either default honestly and tell everyone, hey, listen, we overpromised. We don't have enough money to make good on all these promises we made. Our unfunded contingent liabilities and debts are absolutely unrepayable. So they can default honestly. That is not going to happen. <laughs> all, of, all of recorded history suggests they never do that because the alternative that they have is to inflate the debt away and they always choose that because number one, it kicks the can further down the road. So the next guy has to deal with it. And the people don't understand it. People don't understand inflation. They see their costs rising, but you know they turn on each other. They blame each other. They blame corporations when really it's the central planners and the government officials who promised all these things and have no choice but to monetize it. So once you have that big picture perspective, you ask what's going to benefit in that kind of environment. And if you think they're going to inflate away these debts, Gold and silver have a 6,000-year track record of being the prime beneficiary in this exact environment that we're in. Uh, it's, it's always, they've always been the prime beneficiary, and I, I don't think this time will be any different. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and, and obviously, again, from my audience, um, if someone who doesn't really know anything about mm -hmm. stocks, investing in stocks, I mean, where should they start? And what, what do you think they need to know? I mean, is there books mm -hmm. to read? Obviously, they can subscribe to your newsletter, which obviously gives a, a lot of information. But what sure. else should they should be what else should they be doing? Yeah, I do think everyone should get that free newsletter. I mean, like I said, I, my heart is to help as many people as possible because um, I, I was there 10, 12 years ago just learning about this stuff. But I, here's how I think of everything. And here's the simple formula is what I call it. Number one, I think everyone should start by owning some physical metal stored outside of the banking system. How much and where you store that is dependent on you. But the, I think it's important to have some. And currently, silver presents a much more compelling value proposition than gold. Although I do think gold is very undervalued. Uh, relative to all the currency creation that's happened in the last 10 years. So number one, own some physical stored outside of the banking system. Number two would be to own a basket of mining stocks. And uh, number three would be just to simply hold that for the next two to five years. And I think you'll be very happy with that. Now, a lot of people don't know where to start with mining stocks. You could certainly just go buy an ETF like GDX or SIL or SILJ. That's a basket of mining stocks in one sector, or excuse me, um, in one ticker. And that's simple and that will do just fine, but you can really uh, amplify those returns by uh, having selected some individual mining stocks that will outperform those ETFs. And that's where it's really good to have some help from someone who does this, you know, full time. Yeah, certainly. And obviously before we, uh, before we started recording, um, talking about physical, um, I actually went out and purchased some physical the other day. Um, and obviously looking at pur and purchasing silver, um, there doesn't seem to be too much around. Um, I mean, no. I went to, I went to, uh, to um, buy some and I can only get a third of what I actually wanted. Um, so I wonder if you can tell the audience about what's happening in the silver market. Yeah, th this, um, th there's going to come a point. That's why I say start with silver first, because there's going to come a point where you want physical and the time that you want it most will be the time that it's the most difficult to get. 
Um, to use an extreme example, and I'm not saying we're all headed towards Venezuela, but imagine living in Venezuela right now, you know, and having uh, an ETF as, as opposed to the physical metal. You know, those people, g- good luck trading your fiat currency or your paper dollars for physical metal at any price in a country like Venezuela right now. So that, that's why it's so important. And I think we're headed in that direction. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go to that extreme, but the, the masses are waking up. Silver is a very finite su- supply uh, uh, commodity. There's only roughly, it's uh, 800 billion ounces are produced globally, and that includes recycling. So 800, um, uh, excuse me, 800 million, I don't know if I said billion, 800 million ounces. <laughs> yeah, so 800 million ounces. So that, that's not very much. That's not enough for uh, everyone to even get one ounce. So as soon yeah. as investors start piling in, I mean, there's going to be a short squeeze on silver. And, you know, you look at what happened to Bitcoin. And, you know, I like to study that because I think something very similar is going to happen in the silver market. You know, the whole bullish case for Bitcoin, I suppose, is that there's only 21 million of them. It's a finite supply. And when people want to own it, the price has to go up. Well, I think silver is set up for a very similar situation, except for, you know, they can create some kind of alternative to Bitcoin. There's no alternative to physical silver. So it's ripe for a speculative mania in the fullness of time. Yeah. And with this, the just uh, recently, obviously, we had the silver squeeze. I just wondered if you can tell us a little bit about what actually happened um, to create this silver squeeze and what potentially can happen in the future. Sure. Um, it, it's kind of nice that there's actually a name for it now. But <laughs> for, for 10 years now, we've been kind of documenting how we as the silver community how there's multiple claims of ownership for every physical ounce of silver that exists, uh, particularly on the COMEX or commodities exchange. And as soon as industry, really industry is going to drive this, when, when they sense a supply squeeze, um, they're like, there's just not going to be enough silver. So they're going to want to hoard it. And investors are going to want to hoard it as well. And back in the end of January, first week of February, there was this Wall Street bets movement with the GameStop and all this. Well, they turned their focus on silver and we saw silver pop really nicely. Uh, The thing about silver though, is it's the most manipulated commodity on the planet. And uh, which makes no sense that, so you see during that one week period, we saw all time record demand for physical silver. Like the demand has never been higher. Good luck. You you could not get retail silver. I mean, every, almost every single dealer was out of uh, product and you had to wait three months to get delivery. And the premiums went up way high and the supply stayed the same. So you have exponentially increasing demand, steady supply, and then the price goes down. (laughs) That defies every law of economics out there. Um, So that's what happened with the silver squeeze. And the, the banks are heavily short silver. And I believe that they are getting positioning themselves to get on the right side of that trade. Uh, because when it goes, you know, unfortunately, these bankers aren't stupid. They're, they're going to be on the right side of it. And I think they're trying to switch sides right now. Yeah. And, and I think silver's the most undervalued asset, asset out of any asset in the world because it's only half of its all-time high since the 1980s. So there's certainly a long way that, that and I'm not going to ask you for a price prediction, but it's certainly a long way to go to um, because it's been heavily obviously manipulated over the mm-hmm. years and obviously it's been controlled. So um, that's, I suppose that's what you're trying to say. Exactly. And I agree 100%. Silver is the most undervalued valued commodity on the planet. I don't think there's another single commodity out there of all the commodities out there, any tangible thing that's trading less than it was in 1980. And silver is not only just a little bit less, it's like half. It's half yeah. the price that it was 40 years ago. So um, it's incredibly undervalued and pre- presents a very compelling opportunity. So it's on a big sale. 
Yes. And then the mining stocks offer just leverage on top of the physical price. Yeah, certainly. Um, so if people are looking to obviously invest in mining companies, um, what should they be looking for in a mining company? Um, obviously, some of our listeners are working for, for various mining companies around the world. Um, so your advice would obviously could apply to their own empl- employees. So what would you say you look for in a mining company if you were going to invest in them? That's a great, that's such a great question. And it leads me to, towards a little bit of a different answer than you'll typically get because everyone will always wants to focus on what stock should I buy, right? Well, I, I think before you even consider what stocks you should buy, you should consider how you want to structure your portfolio. So in my mind, this is a, these are admittedly subjective terms, but I break my mining stock portfolio down into top tiers, mid tiers, and then highly speculative stocks. Those are the exploration and development plays. And then once I decide how much, what percentage I want in each category, then I look for what jurisdictions do I want exposure to? Because especially if, if you're heavily weighted in silver miners, it's easily it's easy to become overweight in Mexico. Now, there's nothing wrong with Mexico as a mining jurisdiction, but you just don't want all your eggs in that basket. So that's kind of how I break it down. Personally, I do about um, 30% top tier, 50% mid tier, and then 20% in those high risk speculations. Now, once I've got that framework set, then I look for the best companies that meet those criteria. And admittedly, personally, my expertise, and this may surprise some people, is not stock picking. Now, look, I can go examine a company's fundamentals just like as good as the next guy. But there are people out there who uh, go like visit the mines and they get down there and they're with their flashlights and their boots and they grill the CEOs. So I pay a lot of money to outsource that kind of due diligence to someone I consider to be the best stock picker in the world and uh, in this space, in the mining space. And uh, so my specialty is macro, excuse me, uh, macro fundamentals and then technical analysis. I use the charts to identify precision entry and exit points on the best stocks. Okay. And, and obviously you look at charts and obviously because I'm a uh, subscriber to your newsletter, um, obviously you produce a lot of graphs. Um, So what numbers and other formulas do you use in assessing a stock? Um, because I'll be really interested. Obviously, I hear you talk uh, on some of your videos around the charts, and I half understand it, half not, and half guessing. So just wondering if you can just give us a brief overview of, of the charts that you produce and what, we, sure. what are we really looking at? Absolutely. And what I found over uh, you know 10 plus years of doing this is that simplicity outperforms complexity almost every time. And a lot of technical analysts get overly complicated with all these Elliott waves and indicators that no one understands what they mean. And I found that just very simple technical analysis, not only outperforms, but it's easier to understand. So that I try and keep my charts and graphs very simple. And I could go through a handful of the indicators I use, but probably the biggest one is a, the 200 day moving average. That's just the average price over the last 200 sessions. And the reason I look at that indicator so much is because that's probably the largest input into the institutional trading algorithms that really drive all these markets. Um, so my favorite spot to accumulate is on pullbacks towards a rising 200 day moving average. It's very simple, especially when you see it on a chart. Um, so that, that's one thing that I mentioned that because we're seeing a lot of stocks pull back to that level right now, which is presenting a pretty compelling opportunities. Yeah. So if the 200 day moving average is the big institutions coming in, Mm -hmm. is the 50 day average to do more to do with retail investors? Or is Uh, that nothing? Well, you you could, I would say the 50 day moving average is more of a tool that shorter term traders use. So here's typically how it works. And this is based on the research of uh, William J. O'Neill. He's the founder of Investors Business Daily. 
And uh, a lot of people think he may be the richest man in the world. He's just very quiet. You know, he doesn't do public interviews or go gloat how much money he has. But he's, he's done all these studies that show once you get a breakout above the 200-day moving average, then the 50-day moving average, because it's a shorter-term moving average, starts to get above that. And then you typically get back tests of the 50-day moving average along the uptrend. And those can present um, compelling entry points. Um, you know, if you miss the 200-day moving average, you know, you don't get too many pullbacks to that 200-day moving average. So the 50-day can be a, a nice point to, to either add to your positions or to for shorter-term traders. Yeah. So is that once it's, once it's just gone below the 200, then starts its way up into the, the, the 50 and the 200-day is what you should be looking for? Uh, it should be then looking to accumulate Exactly. Once, if the price of a given stock is above the 50 and the 200 day moving average, most institutional trading algorithms are in like a buy the dip mode. They're programmed yeah. to buy the dips. But if price conversely is below a declining 200 day moving average and a 50, they're more inclined to be programmed to sell the rallies. Um, I wonder if you can give us an update on the actual market at the moment, um, as, as, as you see it, and obviously across the the commodities that you uh, that you sort of focus on. Sure. So my our focus at Silver Chartist is silver, uranium, and gold. We do also like uh, the battery metals, copper and nickel, and also platinum. But our really our laser focus is silver, uranium, and gold. And speaking specifically to silver and gold, they've had a really nice pullback for the last seven months. Back they peaked in early August of 2020, and since they've been in this steady downtrend, particularly gold. And now gold is arriving at this very key area of support. Now, am I saying we're at the, the exact bottom? No. I mean, we could go just a little bit lower. I don't think it's likely, but we could. But the upside potential here is enormous relative to the downside um, risk. And you know, back in August of last year, everyone wanted to buy the metals. There was no concern about it. Now that we've pulled back 20%, you know, everyone's saying, oh, I don't want to touch that stuff. Where you know, our human emotions often tell us to sell when we should be buying and to buy when we should be selling. And I think rather than say we've hit the exact bottom, I, I'd be much more comfortable saying we're in a ver very clearly in the buy zone right now. This is I love this for accumulation. And I think over the next uh, you know, few months and especially a few years, you're going to be very happy having bought at these levels. Yeah. And obviously you speak a lot, obviously a lot about gold and silver, but obviously uranium is a, another passion mm -hmm. of you. And I suppose uranium isn't spoke about a lot. It's, no. it's got a negative image. I mean, mining full stop and the most of the audience will know this mining's got a, a bit of a bad, bad image in the general public, but uranium itself has a bad, a bad image and associated with numerous other things. But obviously from listening to yourself um, and listening, looking at your charts, uranium is probably a pick of pick of the bunch of all commodities. And I just wonder if you can give us an overview of of uranium. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm a contrarian by nature. I love to accumulate things that are just beaten down, beaten to a pulp that no one likes, and then wait, just sit there and wait for them to turn around. And uranium, that's what got me so interested in uranium. So the, the short story of that is back in 2011, I'm sure your listeners remember that Fukushima disaster off the coast of Japan, and they had the, that resulted in the nuclear disaster at that Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Well, the world swore off nuclear, and uh, at that time, the spot price was over $100. It actually peaked at $137 a pound. And all these uranium miners, I mean, what are they going to do? Stop! They have to keep producing uranium. So they continued to flood the market with supply as demand just fell off of a cliff. So that created this massive supply glut of, 
uh, uranium. And the price has just gone from 137 a pound down to, I think, $18 a pound in 2016. And since then, we've started uh, to reverse upwards. Now, what creates such an asymmetric setup here is that the world needs nuclear, to, especially if they want uh, you know, th- these green agendas, w- which is great because um, nuclear has zero emissions. Nuclear accounts for 20% of the baseload power in the United States and 11% of the power globally. So we need nuclear. And what's interesting here is that that uranium spot price is going to have to rise to at least $50 a pound to bring on, to incentivize the new production that's needed. And the, currently the spot price is like $29. So that creates tremendous opportunity. Now, does that mean we're going to go straight up? No, but I think we're in for a multi-year uptrend in uranium and one more thing on that sector. I don't. I hate to give such a long-winded answer, but th- that sector is so small. Last I checked, there was only about 70 companies, p- pure play uranium miners. So when big money starts to pile in, it, you know, it's such a small sector that it can really see explosive moves to the upside. And I think we're just starting to see that. A lot of these stocks have really moved nicely, but we're still in the early innings. Yeah. And when there was a sort of boom in the uranium market uh, in the previous decades, wasn't there about 500 or so uranium companies just spring up from somewhere? Um, so again, it's about doing your due diligence and mm. um, on, the, on the company, on the management, because suddenly all these companies appear from somewhere um, mm. and people will then invest and, and big up the market. Um, so was that, was that the case back then? It was, yeah. You see a lot of companies that their primary focus or really sometimes none of their focus is on uranium. They go and change their name to XYZ uranium company. And, uh, you know, they say, Hey, yeah, we're searching for uranium now, even though they have no uranium deposits to speak of. Yeah, certainly. And I, I suppose, again, uranium, like you said, it's used for the base load of, um, for electric, uh, for electricity. So, um, as Rick rule says, um, if we don't have enough uranium, the lights go out. And I think that's really, really important. So, um, do you see a big uptrend for, for a period of time in uranium, in the uranium price, um, and how long do you see? Do you feel that that time length is going to be? I do. For me, this is a two to five year story, yeah. um, but I will begin slowly scaling out once we get to fifty dollars uranium. We're currently at about twenty eight or twenty nine bucks, and like I said, if we go to fifty dollars uranium, I think a lot of the stocks that we track conservatively will probably be up three or four x. Um, just by going to $50 uranium. And I, I don't think $100 uranium is out of the question o- over a longer time period. Yeah. Um, is there any particular stocks you think our audience should, especially if they're starting out, should sort mm. of focus on at the moment? Maybe one gold, maybe one silver, mm. one uranium. Is there anything they, that they you feel that if they were starting out new, what they should mm. look at? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, why don't I start with, I'll go gold, silver, uranium. Um, so again, of course I don't give advice. These are just ideas. So don't take anything I say as advice, but, um, I really like the royalty and streaming business because it's much lower risk and it still has plenty of upside potential And one gold royalty company that I really like right now is Sandstorm gold. It's run by, uh, Nolan Watson is the CEO. He came from silver Wheaton, which is now Wheaton precious metals. So Sandstorm gold, I really like right now, um, in the silver space, let's see, um, my, my favorite silver miner, I'll just tell you for the long term, is First Majestic Silver. Um, Keith Newmeyer is the CEO, just a v- very talented management team um, with plenty of growth on tap. So First Majestic Silver is worth a look. And then in uranium, the, the big boy is Cameco. Um, Cameco is the blue chip in the uranium sector. 
I also might take a look at energy fuels. And another one might be uh, next-gen energy. That's up in Canada. Yeah. Um, obviously, I've been listening to you because I have uh, purchased uh, um, shares in all of those companies. So, um, um, And I've seen, and especially like Sandstorm, I've seen that just uh, just rise just all of a sudden since uh, I think a few people started making that prediction because it's come mm-hmm. off a bit of a high. Um can you just explain royalty companies? Um, I'm not whether a lot of the audience may know what a royalty company is, but I just wonder if you can give us an overview of what a royalty company actually is. Sure. Um, so royalty and streaming companies are much lower risk than the mining stocks themselves. Because like if, if you're a mining company and you own a mine, there's so many risks inherent to that, right? The, the mine could cave in, the workers could go on strike, there could be some kind of you know, permitting issue. Well, royalty companies give capital to the actual mining companies. Um, especially in the depths of the bear market, it was hard for these mining companies to raise capital from traditional sources like banks. You know, they don't want to lend money to some mining company. Um, so the royalty company, for example, Sandstorm Gold might come in and say, hey, we'll give you this amount of capital. And in exchange, we get the, the right to buy a certain percentage of your mine output at a fixed cost. And typically, like here's a standard agreement is we get 20% of the mine output um, for say $400 gold for the life of the mine. So when gold price is up around $2,000, that's a $1,600 an ounce margin on 20% of the uh, mining output. And they do these agreements with lots and lots of companies. So you get jurisdictional diversification around, uh, you know, around the globe with different companies. So it's much less, much less risky. And uh, it's one of my favorite ways to play the sector. Yeah. Would you say a royalty, if you invest in a royalty company, you would really tend to keep it longer than if you had individual companies, invest in individual companies, or isn't isn't there a correlation between that? Um, Yeah, there kind of is. Like on the other end of the extreme are these higher risk exploration stocks and development plays. And they may, let's say they hit really good drill results, you know, they could double or triple in a very short period of time, Mm. where in that case, you know, I'd be more inclined to take some profits and reallocate those where with the royalty and streaming companies, I'm content to just hold those for the long term, and then uh, exit over, you know, according to my exit strategy over the long term. Yeah. And how would you, and I suppose as a conclusion, how would you sum up the the mining industry in terms of obviously investing? How long is this sort of going to play out in terms of, um, obviously we're going into a bull market, how long will it play out or is it, or is it an unknown because it's based on economic factors, governments, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough to tell. Um, my baseline assumption is for a price peak somewhere around 2026 or 27. And that's based on the average length of the two previous bull markets, the one from the seventies and then from 1999 to 2011. So the, the average length has been about 10 years. And if you start from 2016, that's when we bottomed in gold, January 2016, yeah, it brings you out to about 2026. Now, is it going to play out exactly that way? Probably not, but it just gives me a, a rough roadmap. But um, w- one thing you mentioned, above $50 silver and call it three or $4,000 gold, I think it's hard to overestimate the risks, the things that these crazy governments are going to try to pull, you know, my nationalization, increased taxes, all these things. So the risk becomes more skewed in the mining companies once we get above those prices. So my my personal strategy involves scaling out once we get above those price targets. Yeah. And 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 into more, more physical metal. Yeah. And in terms of uh, stocks, obviously stock, uh, stock prices rising and falling, is that down to 
interest rates? Is it down to supply and demand? Is it down to governments, localization? Is there any commonality between all of those? Or is it, or is it none of them, or, or it's not all correlated? No, it certainly is. And you mentioned the big ones right off the bat. A lot of people look at the nominal interest rate. So in here yeah. in the US, people look at the 10-year. You know, it recently went up to like 1.7%, which is still historically low, but it was down at 0.4%. So it almost quadrupled or about quadrupled. Um, but what really matters is real interest rates. That's the biggest driver for gold and silver. So the way to figure that out is, okay, what's the 10-year yield? And then what is the CPI? I call it the CP lie because it's not actual, <laughs> you know, the government manipulates that data. But nonetheless, that's, yeah. how, what, that's what Wall Street looks at, even though it's not yeah. accurate. And, uh, you know, if, if the 10-year is above the um, CPI, then you have positive real interest rates. If the inverse is true, you have negative. And I think we're headed back into an environment of negative interest rates. So that's yeah. going to be a huge driver for gold. And then supply demand fundamentals are also huge. And, you know, the, the demand is only increasing for both silver and gold. Um, the banks, central banks, uh, governments are accumulating gold and silver hand over fist. And, you know, they obviously know things that we don't. So I like to say, follow, follow the money and follow the smart money. Yeah. So I suppose really anyone listening and thinking about getting into either stocks, physical, really should start looking now um, before, I suppose, silver and gold. Uh, and I think I can't remember who actually says it about unattainable, where, you, where sometimes if you leave it too long, you want to try and buy some physical silver or gold and you won't be able to because it will obviously will be taken and there's obviously only a, a finite amount each year that's being produced. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like the strategy of just dollar cost averaging. I buy a little bit of fiscal yeah. each month. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, really appreciate your time in uh, giving us an introduction to sort of investing in mining, mining shares, uh, mining companies and talking about the physical gold, silver, and also uranium. Um, one of you can just give us a conclusion in terms of your, um, newsletter silver chart list um, and what people expect if they sign up either for, for the free newsletter or the, the low cost paid uh, newsletter. Sure. Yeah. Th thank you for asking. So we, we do a premium or excuse me, we do a free letter every Sunday. And like I said before, we don't spam you. We don't hit you with any kind of high pressure sales tactics. The goal is just to provide a ton of value for free more than you get with any other kind of free letter. And I would highly encourage everyone to check the link below for that. Then we do offer a low ticket premium membership. Um, and currently for, for your listeners as a thank you just for inviting me on, you know, we're going to keep it very cheap, $9 a month. Um, and I, I hate for people to think, oh, it's only nine bucks a month. It must not be that good. We like to try and make a product that's as good as some of the $3,000 a year services. And so it's very low ticket. There's no can cancellation policy. There's no obligation or anything, but we at least encourage everyone to check out that, that free, um, the free newsletter. And I'm sure you'll put a link to that below, but yeah, certainly. Well, and like I said, I've been a subscriber and I'm learning so much from it because um, obviously you put in there various stocks that you're you're purchasing. And obviously I get the odd email when you're actually purchasing and showing your actual trades that you're doing and why, why you're actually buying those particular stocks. So that's useful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the premium service, what you get with that is I call it a fully transparent over the shoulder service with real time alerts. I show you exactly what I'm doing. Uh, when I'm doing it and I send out an alert and you know, the idea isn't just to go do exactly what I do, but it's to show you what I'm thinking. And then hopefully you can, that can help you to make uh, better decisions for your own situation. 
Yeah, certainly. Steve, really appreciate your time. Um, hope, hope we can catch up in a couple of months' time and give us an update. Um, hopefully our audience um, can ask some other questions. They may have some questions around their sort of investing as well. Um, and everyone listening to the podcast or even watching the YouTube channel, appreciate if you can share this uh, um, either podcast episode or YouTube channel out to people that you know, especially people that, that are looking to um, invest. If they've got some spare money, maybe looking to invest in the mining industry because I know, and obviously, as um, Steve has pointed out, there's a lot of returns that can be made um, in the future. And obviously, people listening to this podcast, we are in the industry, so you're going to have a you're going to know more than a lot of other people out there. So um, just it's following simple steps. So appreciate if you can share this uh, podcast and YouTube um, channel out to it, everyone else that you know. So really appreciate your time, Steve. Again, um, and we speak. We speak uh, in a couple of months. You bet. Thank you so much, Rob. No worries. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.